Good morning. <clears throat> I hope, I want to point this out to you because you may not have considered it. I hope that you have to this point. But I want you to ask yourself how often um, you take the songs that we sing and you use them as a prayer to God. Uh, not, not only is our prayer time and not only is scripture, our sermons and stuff like that, can we use those to echo as a prayer to God? But we can also take the music that we sing songs that we sing and we can echo them as a prayer to God. I want to give you an example today of how I did that, and I hope that you can not just sing on Sundays, but that you can use those songs as, as a prayer. Um, take my heart, it is thy own, it will be thy royal throne. Uh, that's a, a simple prayer to God. Uh, it's not just a song uh, of worship and, and adoration and pointing to God why he is who he is. Uh, it is a song that we can literally request something of God, surrender a piece of ourselves or all of ourselves to God and be used. I want to challenge you to, during our times that we sing, that um, although the music I think is enjoyable and although I think it is peaceful, don't just use it as a time to recite words in a melodic way. You know, use it as a time to offer up thanks, to make requests known, to really pray to the Lord, to really give back to the Lord uh, in worship. I want us to uh, take a break this week um, from Romans. I know we've done that a few times for the Advent series and for today. But today we are going to be presenting um, three deacon candidates to you and um, for examination over the next year. And um, I wanted to do, put our best foot forward as it pertains to deacons, as it pertains to church leadership, church organizational structure. And so I wanted to take this time, since it is a set-apart time, to present to you three deacon candidates. I want to take this time and preach to you on the biblical church, why a biblical organizational structure matters. It sounds like a really bad TED talk or, um, or maybe something you would be forced to listen to at a conference, but I promise you, um, I plan on making this uh, in a way that's not only insightful for you, but hopefully helpful for you moving forward. Um, with your understanding of church leadership. The biblical church, why a biblical organizational structure matters. Our text that we're going to look at today was the one that Jeremy just read from 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. I'm really excited about what today signifies for our church, the direction our church is headed. Not only are we going to be able to nominate three deacons who will assist in service of our church, who will assist Drew, who has already been um, just more than uh, he's, he's exceeded expectations in that position, but will uh, assist our church and our elders in serving you, in serving our church, in serving our community. But also we get to reexamine the Vintage Church Covenant today as a body of believers, and we get to see um, if that is something that we desire and long to commit to again uh, for another year. And um, I think today... Um, what we're doing today is, is not only a sign of a healthy church, but it's also a sign of a church 
who examines themselves, has realistic expectations about ourselves, and does what we can to be as biblical as we possibly uh, know how to be. Today um, is a good day in the life of our church. What we will do, what I want you to encourage you to do as um, later as I present these deacon candidates is use that time over the next year to examine um, their character, uh, who they are, not that you already haven't been able to do that, but examine their character, examine who they are, but also we will look at each individual's gifting of service, and we will specifically place these people, um, as we have uh, in Drew's case, we will specifically place these people in areas of service in the life of our church um, based on what God has already proven through them to be their gifting. I think it's something that you might find as uh, unique because maybe the churches you've been a part of in the past did not do that. But we want to do that because I think it's not important, it's not the best idea to put people into positions just to put them into positions. It's important to put them into positions to where they have clearly shown the working of God uh, in their life already. And so we're going to do that, and we're going to be really specific in the way uh, that we have our deacons structured in our church. That being said, I want to take the entire sermon today and look at biblical, a biblical organizational structure and why it matters. <clears throat> Just like any organizational structure, I think a good one matters. But for the church, it is imperative. For the church, is it, imper- it is imperative that our organizational structure not only matter, but it be biblical. I want to ask you a question, and this may not resonate with you unless you've been involved in a church for a long period of time, but this is a rhetorical question, obviously. But what do you think about when you think of deacons? Just think about that for a second. What do you think about when you think of deacons? Maybe it is, maybe your first mind goes to the older men in the church who take up offering or usher or the ones who lead business meetings. Maybe you think of deacons and you think of them as the right-hand men of the pastor or maybe a thorn in the side of the pastor, depending on what your church context is. You may think of them as peacemakers or you may think of them as trouble makers. My history with deacons is a mixed bag. Uh, my entire adult life, or at least when I started thinking about these type things, I thought, my thought was that the church could do well without deacons. That was my thought. That you got the church leadership and you got the church and that's enough. As a matter of fact, the first ever church planning retreat I went to, the guy said, he was given his structure of the church and how they were organized. He had been around for a few years and he said, and we definitely don't have deacons. You don't need them. You know, there was a time, you know, but everybody serves in the church. We, you don't need them. Uh, to which he had to leave shortly after his speech, not because he was kicked out, but he, had, he literally had to leave. And the organizer of the conference got up and said, I want you to know that most of what he said was great, but he was dead wrong on the deacon part. And you should have deacons. And here's why. Because the Bible commands you to. 
the Bible commands you to. Even if it feels weird, and some people have gotten away from using the word deacon just because for practical reasons or whatever it may be, but uh, I don't think that you should throw the baby out with the bathwater as it concerns positions in the church. I've seen deacons who are faithful and kind and called by God, but I've also seen deacons who have taken over churches, deacons who spout off racist ideology, and even deacons who I believe were unregenerate. The truth is, deacons are a part of a biblical organizational structure for the church. With all this in mind, I believe now more than ever, having a biblical structure in church leadership and in church organization is drastically important. So what I'd like to do today is hopefully help answer some questions for you and help align our views on church organizational structure with the, bu- with the views of the Bible as we lay out what church leadership looks like, church organization looks like, in the local body of believers. What I'd like to do today is I'd like to pray before we go into this that God would hear our, hear our sincere desire to learn from his word and that he would teach us from his word. God, <coughs> you are so good. You love us so much and you don't withhold anything good from us. And you've said your word is good. So I pray, Lord, that you would teach us from your word, that you would help us to reform our views in the way that aligns with the Bible, that the Bible alone would be our final arbiter as to what is truth and what we accept. Not tradition, not what feels right or weird, but what the Bible says. Let that be our goal, Lord, that we would learn from your Bible, that we allow it to teach us because it is the breath of God through the teaching of the Holy Spirit. We love you. We praise you. We give you this day. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Today we will examine the biblical organizational structure of the church. We will look at our verses today in 1 Timothy, but we will not spend a lot of time on each individual qualification uh, for each person in uh, in their role in the church. Uh, We could end up taking four or five sermons on those things. But what I want to do <coughs> is I want to spend the majority of our time laying out for you the organizational of the church, uh, organizational structure of the church and where we stand as Vintage Church. And hopefully we can spend this time distinguishing the differences for you um, no matter how nuanced they may feel to you. I have three main points that I want to discuss today as it concerns the organizational structure of the church. Uh, these three points we will examine um, as we go throughout this sermon today, and I think they're val- invaluable to understanding the organizational structure of the church. And these three points are this. The biblical leadership. The biblical leadership. That is one piece of the organizational structure of the church. The second is the biblical servanthood. The biblical servanthood. And I'll go back to all of these. The second is the biblical servanthood. The biblical leadership. The biblical servanthood. And the third is the biblical flock. The biblical flock. I want to first today look at the biblical leadership from verses 3, uh, verses 1 through 7 of 1 Timothy 3. 
This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. In preaching this sermon, I want to accomplish three simple things for you and for me. I want us to show the importance of biblical structure, that is, elders, deacons, congregation. I want to distinguish in a biblical way the difference between elders and deacons and clearly define their roles. And I want to exhort you to come alongside the church leadership and serve in your role no matter what position the Lord has given you to serve in. That being said, I want to look at the church elders first. If you want a more in-depth sermon or more uh, in-depth information on this, I would challenge you to look at 9marks.org. Um, There is great information, books, articles uh, on elders and church leadership, 9marks.org. I also preached a sermon on this in May of 2015. If you want to learn more about our stance on church leadership and elders, uh, but also a quick Google search. Um, Now, you may may think this is petty, what I'm about to tell you, but a quick Google Google search, and this is how you you get the good stuff. Our church... Elders, biblical, reformed. That's how you get the good stuff. That's how, I, that's how I know that it's biblically based. Okay, Not that it has to be Calvinistic in its approach, but I know that if Calvinists are one thing, they are biblical. And so I don't have to worry about that. Well, for the most part, they are biblical. <coughs> Everybody has one or two bad eggs. But anyway, probably just one or two though. Um, but anyway, so... Um, there are a few resources that you can look at for that. I'm not going to go through every detail. I will kind of go through the verse again briefly. <clears throat> but I want you to know something, friends. The center of the local church leadership, regardless of what you have experienced over the years, is not the pastor. It is not a deacon body or any other group of people. The center of the leadership in the church is the appointed elder body of the church. Paul in Titus 1.5 says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order. Paul says, put it in order. And here's how he says, by putting, here's one of the ways he says putting in order. And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The elders give order and structure and leadership to the church. Now there are several reasons uh, why this is true. There are sev- the first is obvious. The first is, I believe, it is biblical. It is the most biblical uh, form of leadership in the body of Christ. But also there are practical reasons. You just need to know that the order of the church, the order in the church, depends on God's called out leaders actually leading. Here's where the church goes wrong, friends. The church goes wrong when it places businessmen and other men who have led in the community but have not led in their own family and who do not lead spiritually in the church already. Here's what I think an elder should look like. 
An elder should be, like 1 Timothy 3 says, someone who is called out to teach and shepherd. This is not someone who has led their local business well. This is not someone who has shown leadership qualities or characteristics. This is not just someone who has a desire to lead. The order in the church depends on God's called out leaders, those who aspire to teach and shepherd the church, leading the church. When the church goes wrong is when they place deacons or they place other people in the elder role and they give them free reign in the church and then all of a sudden you have these coups. I don't know if that's the plural form of that that happened. Because what is happening is people aren't led by the spirits. People who should not be in those positions are being appointed, appointed and they're not led by the spirit of God but they're led by what their business sense tells them. The church order, church order depends on God's called out leaders actually leading the church. The proper teaching in the church is dependent on God's called out leaders teaching the church. Unity in the church is dependent on on a group of like-minded men who carry different perspective and views, different perspectives and views into one body leading the church. The sanity of the lead pastor is dependent on having brothers that he can bounce ideas off of and lean upon. We all know this to be true, that I'm not a very good pastor. But I can promise you that I would be even worse if God had not given me men like Blake and Stephen to lean upon. Men who I consider closer than a brother. Did not plan on this. Check. Men who I consider closer than a brother to lean upon. When the world and this church, because there have been times where you people have been crazy. When the world and this church goes crazy, I'm not by myself. And neither are you. The sanity of the pastor is dependent on having brothers that he can bounce ideas off of and lean upon. These men not only lift me up, but they encourage me to be the best that I can be for Christ and for his church. They correct me when I'm wrong, believe it or not. That just shows you how much wrong I am because that gets past them a lot of times. They lift me up and encourage me to be the best I can be. Now, I'm stating these to you for practical reasons. Elders, these are the practical reasons that elders help the church. But also the most important reason that elders help the church is because God commanded it in the Bible to be that way. So I will ask this question to you multiple times. And most of you it will not be true for. Maybe all of you it will not be true for. But if you, have, if you struggle with elders as the leadership structure of the church, is it because of what your past experience is? Or is it because the Bible tells you that the elder structure is not the right structure? So if you can look at the Bible and you can deny what I'm saying today, then we can have a talk. But if you're only defense is your past experience is not been the, has not been this way. That is not my problem. I'm sorry for that, but that is not my problem. We will do as best as we know how through the grace of God and being led by the Spirit of God, we will do everything that we can to be led in a way that the Bible prescribes. Ephesians 4 says that the Lord gave shepherds 
and teachers, these are the elders, the overseers of the church, to equip the saints. So I believe the, the church structure should be led by a group of qualified men that God has ordained to lead the church, that God has placed and appointed to lead the church. What are some of the things that we know about elders? They have a desire given by God. They have a desire given by God. Their calling is confirmed by obedience. They have a desire given by God. Their calling is confirmed by obedience. Their calling is then confirmed by a flock that follows. Their calling is, they have a desire given by God. Their calling is confirmed by obedience. Their calling is confirmed by a flock that follows them. There are many things we know about the leaders of the church, but one thing our text teaches us today is that there is a desire to teach and shepherd the flock that is placed in the hearts of those who lead the church. Many people call this the calling, a calling. One concurrent theme that I have seen in successful pastors is that they all believe they have a calling to do what they are doing. <coughs> I believe that I do. To specifically lead our church in teaching, that is preaching and discipleship, and shepherding, that is pastoring our church. This is how 1 Timothy 3 starts. If any of you aspires to the position of overseer or elder, he aspires to a noble task. So this person has a desire that is given by God to teach and shepherd the church. The position of overseer or elder is not this. If any, if any of you has a desire to bring his business sense into the church leadership structure, let him come and fulfill that desire. If anybody has, you desi has a desire to place his opinion uh, in the ear of the pastor to uh, fight and jockey for position in the leadership of the church, let him take on that position of overseer. No, overseer. No. It says, if any of you has a desire to to teach, and to shepherd the church. Therefore, every elder, every leader in this position, whether you call them pastoral staff or whether you call them deacons, um, which I think that's uh, wrong again, but whether you, whatever you call them, they should at least, at a minimum, have a desire given by God to teach and preach and shepherd the church. If any of you has a desire. Friends, this is this next point is drastically important. And if you ever see me straying from this, you need to get me and punch me or do something really quickly. Okay? And you better be sure before you punch me because that would be really bad. The person not only has a desire to follow the Lord in obedience in teaching and preaching and shepherding, but, the Lord, but this person is confirmed by his obedience to the qualifications of the elder, but more, uh, of being an elder, but more importantly, the qualifications of God through his word. This calling is confirmed not by the strength of this person's desire to lead, but by the strength in which he follows the Word of God. This is imperative that we all hear this. If God has placed a desire on your heart to lead or teach in the local body, that is a wonderful thing. If God has given you a ministry like this, that is something to be desired. A mission that is a noble and honorable task. But the thing that most confirms your calling is not your zeal or the strength of your calling in your own mind. The thing that most confirms your calling is the strength of your obedience to the Word of God. The first way we know a person is called to be an elder is that the Lord has placed the desire 
to be an elder on his heart. And the second is if that desire is met with obedience that meets the biblical qualifications of elder. So what are the biblical qualifications? We won't go through and explain all of them, but I want to I go through them really quickly. I promise, really quickly. Therefore, an overseer must be ab- above reproach. What this means is unimpeachable. Literally, unimpeachable. He cannot, charges cannot be brought against him for his character. The husband of one wife. Now listen, you need to understand this. This right here is not saying that the elder can't be divorced. This is saying the elder can't be a polygamist. There are other passages that say the elder can't be divorced. Or other parts of the passage. This is not what that's saying. Because what this means is the elder, the elder cannot have more than one wife at a time. I want to give you a scenario where this is important. What if a pastor's wife dies? Is this prohibiting him from remarrying? Or is this just saying he can't have one wife, another wife, while his other wife is still alive? I'm here to tell you, it's saying don't be a polygamist. That's what it's saying. Later on, we'll talk, later on, you'll kind of see how the qualifications for a divorce comes out, or not divorcing comes out. (coughs) The husband of one wife, sober-minded. This is not being controlled by uh, alcohol, but it's also being not controlled by your anger, not being controlled by emotions, things like that. Self-controlled, that goes together. Respectable, hospitable. Man, this is an important characteristic of a pastor that I think often over, gets overlooked. Hospitable. I, I was a part of a church for years where probably in a, a matter of handfuls of times, maybe ten times or less, I went to the pastor's house. Now, I know that it's difficult. I know that it's difficult when you get into a larger setting. I know that it's difficult when you get into a larger setting. But can you imagine if you had only been to my house less than ten times? Right? Hospitable. Opening your doors to people. Opening your life to people. Here's another one. Able to teach. This can't. Now, I do this sometimes because I think some people say it better than I can. But this is not somebody who can just regurgitate a commentary. This is somebody who can take the word of God and rightly divide the word of God. Not a drunkard. This does not mean not some this does not mean someone who abstains from alcohol. This means someone who abstains from alcoholism. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Guys, I feel like I feel like I'm being attacked on the, the last few. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. He must manage his own. Here's, here's where I think divorce comes into the setting. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or, be, or he may become puffed up with conceit or fall into the condemnation of the devil. It's one of the reasons we have a year-long process for elders. But also, elders are not just picked from another church. They are picked out from the local church. Moreover, he must be thought of well by outsiders so that he might not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Church, is it imperative that we hold our elders to a high standard of biblical living? Our elders may not meet all of these standards perfectly all of the time, but for the vast majority of the time, they will meet these standards. We will meet these standards. We will meet these as we go on consistently through our life. There's one more thing that we must know about elders. Their calling is confirmed by a flock. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as, a well, <coughs> as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willing, 
As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Something that must be clear. If you have a calling to teach and shepherd a flock, then you most certainly will have a flock that follows you. Do you understand that? If this ever arises in you, maybe it's something that's in you right now and you are, and you are dealing with a calling that, that God wants you to teach and preach, you will be confirmed by people, by people, by Christian people. Do you know how I know that I'm supposed to be an elder of Vintage Church? Because you still sit here after however many years that, you're, that you've been sitting here. That's how it's confirmed. Because we are biblical We are a biblical church, and you haven't left me yet. The elders are confirmed not only by their calling, not only by their character, but by a flock that follows them. Nevertheless, the only prescribed, hear me, the only prescribed biblical leadership in the church is a body of ruling elders. You need to know that. That is the only biblically prescribed leadership in the church. And I will be bold enough to tell you today, any church, whether it be in a home or in a massive building, that is not, biblic- that is not biblically organized in this way, or that is not organized in this way, is not biblically organized. If that gathering of Christians doesn't have an established and appointed body of leaders, as I have given you today, as I have shown you today from the Bible... They are not biblically organized. Now, knowing that the elders are the leaders of the church, I want to talk to you about biblical servanthood. The first was biblical leadership. The second, biblical servanthood. Will you look at 1 Timothy 3, 8 with me? Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of faith that it, with a clear conscience. Let me look at a few of those. Dignified. That's not like uh, Scrooge McDuck dignified. That's like um, you live in a manner that is respectable, that people want to follow. Not double-tongued. What do you think that means? Not, not, not speaking out of both sides of your mouth. You've heard that before. Saying one thing, saying uh, meaning another thing, or, or saying it in a deceitful way. In, in any of those type, integrity of the mouth Those tight things. Not addicted to much wine. Again, this is not the abstination of drinking, but is the moderation of drinking. Not greedy for dishonest gain. A deacon is responsible for service areas, and historically one of the service areas of a deacon has been to watch over the money of the church, to collect the money of the church for the widows, the orphans, for the causes of the church. A deacon must not be uh, uh, dis- uh, greedy for dishonest gain because that would almost exclusively disqualify that person from being in those positions. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let <coughs> them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now here's where we're going off the rails a little bit. The ESV version of this text says, their wives. I- I'm here to tell you and we've mentioned this in, our, in our, um, our meeting after our leadership retreat. I'm here to tell you, I believe that verse 11 says this. And it does in the NASB and other versions. I believe that verse 11 says, women likewise. 
I don't believe it says their wives. I believe it says women likewise. If you look at the footnote of the ESV Bible, it says women likewise. It says women likewise. If you look in the NASB, it says women likewise. So I'm going to have to, I know that you're just going to freak out because I'm diverting from the ESV for one time in my life because I've already told you it's the eternally satisfying version. But since they put the footnote, I feel justified in this. I think it says women likewise, and it goes on to give a, rep- a, a repeating, it goes on to repeat the characteristics that we see in verses 8 and 9. Women likewise should be, uh, where are we? Verse 11, women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. And then it goes back, those men who are husbands, let them be, those deacons who are husbands, let them be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well, which are the responsibilities of a man. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith. That is in Jesus Christ. There is another position in the organizational structure of the church that is equally important for the life of the church, and that is the role of deacon. In the past, you may have thought of deacons like uh, the church bosses, like the round table of uh, Sir Lancelot or, the, or, or King Arthur or, or uh, a mafia uh, room of, of guys that sort of lead and play and, you know, play the chess game and figure out what's going on in the church. Maybe you, look at, maybe you looked at them like the pastor's posse, or maybe you looked at them like the pastor's lynch mob. But done biblically, the deacons have a very important function within a biblical and healthy church. And I will say to you again that any church that does not have a ruling body of teachers and shepherds and a separate body of servant leaders in, uh, in deacons is not fulfilling the church structure aligned in Scripture. We see deacons all throughout Scripture. In Philippians, Paul and Timothy write to the holy people, the holy people of the church of Philippi, along with who? It's in the introduction of Philippians, the elders and deacons at Philippi. First Timothy talks about their time of testing. First Timothy 3 gives the standard by which they are measured. Acts 6, 1 through 7 gives the reason that the Lord appointed deacons. And the truth of the matter is, the reason that we are given in Acts 6 has not passed away. If the reason for appointing deacons had passed away, then maybe we can have a conversation about not needing deacons. But the reason for appointing deacons, they were appointed because the church was growing, and there were two things happening. The elders were being distracted from leading, uh, and the most helpless of the church were being forgotten or overlooked. So the deacons were appointed by the elders in order to solve both problems, to help the church in practical ministry needs and to allow the elders to have time to lead the church in preaching and teaching. (coughs) Acts 6 says it isn't right for the elders to serve the tables and neglect the serving of the Word of God. And it isn't right for those at the tables to get neglected because the elders do not have time to do it. So the deacons were the solution. So the deacons play an important role in the church and those who have shown that they lead in service to the church and to the elders of the church should be called out amongst the flock. The word deacon is diakonos, which this is literally a person who is a service intermediary between the congregation 
and the elders. A servant who assists the elders in the practical task of the church, or more simply put, a deacon is a servant who does whatever is necessary to allow the elders to do their God-given calling of shepherding and teaching the church. Literally nowhere in the Bible are the deacons the leaders of the church. A pastoral structure where it's the pastor is like the president and the deacons are like Congress is not only dangerous but is unbiblical. What then do we know about deacons? The deacons are assistants to the elders in the practical functions of the church. The deacons are assistants to the elders in the practical functions of the church. This comes out in service. They have stood out in service and are given specific service task to take the load off of the elders so that the elders can be responsible for leading and for teaching and for shepherding the church. They are assistants to the elders in the practical service functions of the church. Their appointment to deacon is confirmed by them meeting the qualification of deacons. Just like elders, they must meet the qualifications of deacons. They cannot just say, we cannot just say, look at this person who serves in the church, because this has happened before. Look at this person who serves in the church, but they really stink as a person. They can't be deacons just because they serve in the church. They can be deacons because they serve in the church and because they meet the qualification of a deacon. Their appointment is confirmed by service without calling. You need to hear this. The appointment of deacon is confirmed by service without calling. What that means is simply this. Anyone who would desire to be a deacon does not have to jockey with their mouth to be a deacon. Their service speaks louder than anything that they could ever say. Their service puts them into position of deaconhood and not their mouth or their politicking or whatever it may be. And you, you may look at me right now and may have never been involved in this part of the church and you may think, Bryce, what are you talking about? And I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say to you, it happens. Trust me when I say it happens. People who politic for position and for um, authority in the church, this is why the deacon structure has gotten so out of hand. Because once you politic and you realize you were politicking to be a servant, it's not quite enough. So you have to slowly take and pastor slowly give authority to the deacon body in the church, which is just not the case in the Bible. The reason they do that is often because they are overworked and overwhelmed and they are just looking for someone to help them. You know, if they may have ha- if they had had the elder structure like the Bible prescribes, then maybe it wouldn't have been that way. Their appointment is confirmed by their service without calling. Before we move on to the last point, I would like to quickly distinguish the difference between elders and deacons in a very objective way. I know I've already been doing that, but in a very objective way. I have three things, and they may help, may be helpful for you, so if you want to just loosely take these down, that would be good. <coughs> the first is this. Elders are called out by God and by the church because they lead the church in teaching and preaching and shepherding. Elders are called out by God and by the church because they lead the church in teaching and preaching and shepherding. Deacons are called out because they lead the church in service. Deacons are called out because they lead the church in service. Elders are called out, the second, elders are called out to pastor their church. Deacons are called out to meet the practical needs of the church and the community in which the church 
thrives. Elders are called out to pastor the church. Deacons are called out to meet the practical needs of the church. So the first one, and I added shepherding to the first one on accident because I forgot I did the second one. Elders are called out to teach and preach. Elders are called out to pastor on the second one. Deacons are called out to lead the church in service because they lead the church in service. Deacons are called out to meet the practical needs of the church and the surrounding community. This last one, it may be a little controversial to you, but I want you to ask yourself, is it controversial to you because of your church history or because the Bible disagrees with what I'm about to say? Elders are called out to be men only because men are commanded to lead the church. Deacons can be both men and women because both men and women are called to serve the church. So I know this last point may come as a point of contention, but ask yourself that question. Is it because of your history in the church or is it because it is biblical or what I'm saying is unbiblical? So just to help you out, I have... I know that this is a new concept for many people, but I have articles and I have some things that you can look at as it concerns deacon and deacon roles in the church. Again, you can look at ninemarks.org. John MacArthur writes a very good thing on the roles of deacon. Both of those church, John MacArthur's church and Mark Dever's church, who are two significant people in the Southern Baptist denomination, have both men and women leading in the, in the role of service as deacons or deaconesses, whichever wording you want to use. I want to quickly point out a few reasons from my study of why I think the Bible explains that the role of deacon can be filled by men and women. The first is this. The deacon and elder position is not the same. The elder leads and the deacon serves. Opposition to the idea of a lady in a deacon position comes from a misappropriation of the idea of biblical church leadership. Over time in the Western church, people with the title of deacon have, be, have been given roles and responsibilities that are not biblical. They are not supposed to have them. <coughs> Opposition may also come because of a different translation of the word in 1 Timothy 3, like we read. The word is ginaikos, ginaikos. Um, and it, the root word is where you get gynecologist. That is, that's where our, that, that whole concept. Um, the word literally means women, but it also can mean wife. Uh, it also can mean a virgin wife or a virgin bride. Uh, it can mean one of those three things, but I think a mistranslation uh, of that in 1 Timothy 3 would cause some confusion. We see in ESV they use wives. But also there in the footnote of the ESV, it is translated women. And it is also in other equivalents, the NASB being one. Here's why I go against the NSV and I translate it as women. The word is translated women many other times. It's not something that I'm just bringing up. It doesn't make sense here for there to be qualifications for deacons' wives but not to be qualifications for elders. Have you ever thought about that? In this text, there are no qualifications for elders' wives. I, I meant to say elders' wives, not elders. There are no qualifications for elders' wives here. Have you noticed that? 
Why would the Lord and his providence, if he's not an author of confusion and he didn't want to make this task confusing for us, why would he put qualifications for deacons' wives but not for elders' wives? After all, for the sake of unity and organization in the church, wouldn't we believe, wouldn't we agree that the position of elder is probably more important in the hierarchy? And if that were true, wouldn't we believe that the elders' wives would face more struggles and more times of trials and more troubles than a deacon's wives? Wouldn't we also have qualifications for elders' wives? Or at least wouldn't we hold them to the same standard as we hold deacons' wives? It doesn't make sense here that there are no qualifications for the wives of, deacon, or wives of elders, but there are qualifications for the wives of deacons. Just as important... Um, just as important, the qualification for women is similar here to the qualifications of deacons in verse 8. Look at uh, 1 Timothy 3 really quickly. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith <coughs> and with a clear conscience and let them be tested. It goes on. And then verse 11. We'll do it how we're talking it today. Women likewise must be what? Dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. Why again here would there be qualifications for elders, there be qualifications for deacons, and then repeating for the deacons' wives, there would be additional qualifications for deacons' wives. Right? That are, the, that are basically the same as for the deacons. What I believe is happening is, I believe Paul is saying... Here are the qualifications for the elders. Here are the qualifications for men who have been appointed to deacon. And here are the qualifications that are very similar for the women who are going to be appointed to the position of deaconess. So um, there are a few others that I, I want to point out really quickly. I'm just, I'm just trying to give you your best foot forward because I know that this is going to, if not in our church, it will be met with contention uh, on some level outside of our church. Because here's the deal. The truth is, there are a lot of conservative churches, a lot of biblically conservative churches who do what we're doing. But they don't just make a deal out of it because they don't want to deal. I mean, it's on their websites, it's on their whatever, but they're not just announcing it because historically, or at least in the most recent history, it is the most liberal churches who have ladies in the deacon position. And so as a means of, I don't know whatever the motivation is, but as a means of not being promoted with that, uh, or connected with that, it, it is not a huge deal. But I will tell you that two of the people that I love and follow and that you should love and follow because they're biblical, Mark Dever and John MacArthur, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, his church presently, the present president has this. And I'm not confirming that we should do this because um, they do it. I'm saying they're doing it because it's biblical and these are just some other people who are doing it. But some, some, uh, something else. Romans 16 mentions Phoebe as a deaconess in the church and someone that many people likely believe delivered the letter of Romans to the church at Rome. <coughs> to which people who are opposed to this argument would say, well, this can be just gener generically used for a servant. Does it make more sense to generically use it as a servant, someone who delivered the letter, who potentially delivered the, the letter of Romans to the church at Rome? Does it make more sense to take someone who has this much clout in the life of Paul and say, oh, she's just a generic servant? Or does it take more, make more sense to take that deaconess word, that diakonos word, and 
put it in a position that it typically is used for. We see in Romans, I mean, we see there's, a, there's another thing that I want you to see. There is, uh, not in Romans, but there is, a, there, is no specific, there is no specific command barring women from being deacons. But there is a specific command barring women from being, for being in the elder role of the church. We see it in 1 Timothy 2, 12-15, that women are not to exercise authority over men and then the qualifications for elders. But we do not see the same command for women as it pertains to being a deacon. Biblically, women are disqualified from leading and exercising authority over men in the church. But remember, that is not the role of the deacon. The deacon is a servant. He is not exercising authority in the church. There is also much proof throughout history and in the early church that this was exercised as a practice for women to be in the roles of deacon or deaconess, however you want to say it. Now, with all that said, we will proceed as a church in the most biblical way we know how to. As the early church did, as many biblical churches do now, and what I believe the Bible has prescribed for a church to look like. There's one more piece, and we'll be done today with our sermon of the biblical organizational structure of the church, and that is the biblical flock. We should all aspire, friends, to do this. We should all aspire, no matter the position that we have in the church, to meet the qualifications of elders and deacons in our own lives, even if it never means being an elder or deacon. Because what it's saying is these are the qualifications, the minimum qualifications for the leaders of the church. But we should all aspire, like Jesus, like God said in Matthew through his word, to be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. We should all aspire per, for perfection. Paul says, even though I know that I have not attained it, I press on towards the mark which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That mark was perfection. He was not relying in his own works or in his own goodness for that perfection. He was trusting in the Lord to give him that. And then one day he knew that if he never reached it, which he wasn't going to reach it this side of heaven, he knew that he would reach it when he was with the Lord. What I want to do is I want to pray to close out the service today. And this is how the last part of our service will go. We will pray. We will have communion. We'll take communion. I want to present to you three deacon candidates for examination over the next year. And we'll, I will pray for them. Uh, just pray for them as they go out, as they head out. And I pray that uh, and encourage you to pray for them throughout the year. I pray for you that you would examine their life, examine their service. Um, and, uh, and then after that, we will uh, quickly do, uh, not because it's not important, just because it doesn't take that long, uh, our church covenant renewal time. Will you pray with me today? <clears throat> Lord, you are good and you are holy. And um, we ask you, Lord, to teach us, to teach us to show us your will and your ways every day. God, I pray that this would be our prayer as it is mine, that we would obey and do what you say regardless of the cost regardless of the cost, whether it comes from opposition in the world or whether it comes from opposition in the church, that we obey you and do what you say, regardless of the cost. Help us to be biblical in every manner, and when we stray from that, would you correct us and lead us and teach us 
Lord, help us to love you more every day and love others like we love ourselves. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.